0: Amen. Amen. Well, we have uh, been talking about David for the past a little bit, uh, several weeks now, and we're going to continue to do that today. But I do recognize that it is Mother's Day, and so the topic for today is a topic entitled Forward Grace. We've been looking at this overarching theme of boldly forward for his glory, that we're to constantly be moving forward for the glory of God, uh, but in our faith we move forward boldly. Uh, we're not to ever stay the same, but are constantly moving forward to be more and more like Jesus and to love Him more and more as well. And so what a great day to think about grace on Mother's Day, amen? Because our mothers really have taught us grace over their uh, our lifetimes, of course. But there's some other things our mothers have taught us, too. Maybe you've heard some of these before, but let me just remind you that our mothers also have taught us logic. She says, because I said so, that's why. Our mothers have taught us irony when she says, keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Our mothers taught us hypocrisy when she said, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. Our our mothers taught us stamina when she would say, you're going to sit right there till all that spinach is finished. Our mothers taught us weather. It looks like a tornado went through your room. She taught us anticipation. You just wait until we get home. She taught us medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. She taught us wisdom of age. When you get to me, be my age, you will understand. And our mothers definitely taught us justice when she would say, one day. You will have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. You've heard it before, too. But in reality, mothers teach us grace. Amen? They teach us grace. And what a more beautiful picture than, of grace than is our mothers. And most mothers, anyway, should have certainly taught us the picture of grace. Now, granted, mothers teach us grace by giving us what we do not deserve. Now, I don't know about you all, but my mother certainly gave me what I did deserve on plenty of occasions as well. Amen? Amen. But on way more occasions, she gave me what I did not deserve. And she loved, She has loved and continues to love. My mother is still living and she loves unconditionally. And she gives all that she has for us. All of our mothers do that for us. But today as we come to this story of David and Mephibosheth. Somebody, maybe, or you may have heard about, or maybe not. But it's a beautiful story of grace. We see how David shows this grace to this man by the name of Mephibosheth. And in this story, we see ourselves. And we see the beautiful picture of grace and how it has been bestowed upon us as well. And how very, very clearly it correlates with the grace that we have received through God Almighty. And so we're going to look at this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, just 13 verses. We're going to look at this story together and see this idea of a forward grace, that we're to have this grace in us, and it's to propel us forward in our walk with the Lord. So in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage of Scripture for us today in 2 Samuel 9. The Bible says, "So Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. And then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And so the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And when, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. And then he answered, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all of his house. You therefore, you, you therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always." Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we know, Lord, that you are on the throne in heaven. We know, Lord, that you have a message here for us about your wonderful, marvelous, matchless, and amazing grace, that as we see that in the life of David, may we also see how it has been extended to us as well. Lord, I pray that you'd work in us. I pray for those who may not know you that this is that hour of salvation. For those of us who do, Lord, may you continue to make our hearts, all of our hearts vulnerable, all of our hearts ready to receive the message that we need to hear. And Lord, may you use me as your instrument. Lord, I pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, you may be seated. You see the outline for today's message in the bulletin. And we're going to move along. And the first thing that we're going to see here is this idea of a reign of grace. A reign of grace. And so as we think about this story as it unfolds, know that David is the king of Israel. And he is the king now instead of Saul. Saul was the king. Saul and his sons were killed in battle sometime before. Except for a son by the name of Ishbosheth, And he was killed later. Uh, but now David is the king over all Israel. And what would have happened in that culture is that typically when a king came to power, many times that he would destroy all of the descendants from that dynasty, all of the ones from that former king, if it was a different, home, different house, different throne. And so that's not what happened in this case with those. They were killed in battle or what have you. Uh, but David here now comes to, the, we come to this passage of Scripture and David remembering a covenant, remembering a commitment that he had made to Saul's son, Jonathan, asked the question in verse 1. He says, David says, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And what we find here in David is that David has a desire. That's the first subpoint. is the desire to show grace to someone. He has a desire to show kindness. The word there for kindness is the Hebrew word hesed which is the word that means a steadfast love. It means a mercy. It means a grace that is extended toward other people. And so David wants to show this kindness. Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul not to show justice, not to seek vengeance, but rather to show kindness for Jonathan's sake, the Bible says? Well, David wants to show this grace. He wants to show this kindness. Where does that come from? Where does that come from in his life? Well, it comes from his life because it reigns supreme in David's life, because it reigns supreme in his God. It reigns supreme in his Father, the Lord God Almighty. As a matter of fact, last week, if you remember, we looked in 2 Samuel 7, this covenant that God, the creator of the universe, uh, has with David and all of Israel. In chapter 7, verse 15, he uses that same word hesed when God says, My mercy shall not depart from him. It is a covenant covenant of unconditional love and steadfast love and mercy and grace. And so David has this himself because of who his father is in heaven. This grace, this reign of grace, it reveals the character of David. So this characteristic that he has learned from the Lord to show compassion, even to one who has done nothing to deserve it. He does, at this point doesn't know if there's anybody out there who still is from the bloodline of Saul. But he is willing because he has a desire to extend grace. This characteristic of of grace, it reigns in David's life because of of his relationship to the Lord. Because of his faith in the Lord. Because of his following the Lord. Because of his obedience to the Lord. His serving the Lord. And he has this desire to show grace, this kindness. And it's very unusual that he would want to do something like this. Because you have to remember what kind of person Saul was. Amen? I mean, Saul was not nice to David. Saul was not pleasing to David. Saul constantly pursued David. He pursued him and chased him, followed him and tried to catch him, not so that they could have a great get-together and a reunion, but he wanted to kill him. So David was constantly on the run away from Saul, but would not come against him because he knew that he was God's anointed. Remember also that Saul, when David was in his presence, how he threw a javelin at him, wanted to pin him to the wall. So this is the kind of person that Saul is, that David is remembering about Saul. But yet we see in verse one that he wants to show kindness to anyone who may be left from the house of Saul, anyone, to show this grace, to show this kindness, and we'll see what that looks like in a moment. Boy, it blows me away, doesn't it? Doesn't it just just cause you to be in awe of how David was showed this kind of grace. But beloved, we have to remember also from last week how God has this pursuing heart toward us. Amen? He pursues us. And we see how David here takes the initiative to go after one, to seek one, to be able to extend grace to someone. And we know that God has done that in our own lives. And so this action pictures the grace of God because David desires to show grace. And beloved, our God also desires to show grace, to extend grace. We see that desire. But also we see the dedication of David here to show this grace. He says in verse 1, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. So David was committed to show this grace to someone, anyone from Saul's family, from Saul's house, from Saul's dynasty, for the sake of Jonathan. He was dedicated to his commitment. He was dedicated to this covenant that he had made with Jonathan and Jonathan made with him. You remember that Jonathan was close friends with David and they'd made this covenant together. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, when David was unsure if Saul was really, he felt like Saul was out to get him. And John said, well, I don't think so. And so they made a covenant together. In that chapter, 1 Samuel 20 verse 14 and following, Jonathan is speaking. And he says to David, you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live. There's that word again that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. There was this kindness that he is asking David, and their covenanting together that he would show this kindness to Jonathan and to his house the line of Saul, to be able to show this grace, this this unconditional love, this steadfast love, this mercy and grace to that house forever. So David shows this grace for Jonathan's sake, for the sake of another. David shows grace. It wasn't because he was feeling sorry for Mephibosheth that he wanted to show this grace. Because he didn't even know Mephibosheth even existed. He didn't know that he was crippled. He didn't know anything about him. No, but what David wanted to do is he wanted to show this grace and extend this grace because of his desire to honor Jonathan. And he was dedicated to that commitment to show this grace. He was, this commitment was made long before Mephibosheth was ever even born. But yet Mephibosheth would enjoy its fruit. David could have destroyed Mephibosheth when he found out who he is and where he was. He could have easily said, no, I think I'm going to uh, seek some vengeance on Saul and kill all these people. And so Mephibosheth is one of those folks. That's not what he did. Out of sheer love for Jonathan, he demonstrated grace to Jonathan's son who was lame, expecting nothing in return. He was committed to show grace to him. Listen. David was committed to show grace to Mephibosheth for the sake of another, because of someone else. Beloved, listen. So it is with God's children that we are called and we are saved not because we deserve anything from God, because we don't. And yet, even though we have been rebellious against God, we have have sinned against God, we are sinful people... We have been disobedient against God. He still desires to show us grace. Y'all with me this morning? And understand that he desires to show us grace for the sake of another. For the sake of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he wants to show us. That's the desire that he has to show us grace. So God, who out of a love for his son Jesus and the penalty that's paid on the cross for us, he demonstrates grace to the believing sinner. So it's through the sake of Jonathan that David was bringing Mephibosheth to himself. And beloved, listen, it is through Jesus that we are reconciled to God the Father and God is bringing us to himself. Amen? It's because of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17-18, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so we see this reign of grace in David who has been extended grace from the Lord because the Lord is the author of grace. He is the one who extends grace, who shows grace, who, is able, who enables grace. And so he's the author of grace and his desire is to extend it to us. And he is committed to to, to extend it to us because of his son, Jesus. And as he extends his grace to us, it also should reign in us as we come to know his son as our savior. So this reign of grace was in David because it was in God. And now we know that the grace has been extended to us because it reigns supreme in our father in heaven... And so it should reign in us as well. Amen? Amen? Secondly, we see the recipient of grace. So we see all these elements of what grace looks like in this passage. And the first one is the reign of grace in David. And, you know, when we think about the life of David and we watch his story unfold as we preach through this message and we watch, we watch the video and we look at this, you know, the, the, his life, for the most part, when we look at his life, we think, man, I just want to be like David. I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to have that kind of faith against Goliath in my life. I want to have all these. I want to be just like David. And as we come to this passage of scripture, we have to understand that we are not David in this scripture. Rather, we are Mephibosheth. That's who we are here. Mephibosheth is the one who is the recipient of the grace of the king. Beloved, that's who we are in that we are recipients of the grace of the king. Mephibosheth, as we find here about him, first off, is that he was totally unaware. Totally unaware. As the recipient of grace, he was totally unaware. If you look in verses 2 through 4, we see here what David is doing... Uh, as he is asked the question, is there a, anyone, anyone who's left in the house of Saul? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so they ca- had called to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. And the king says, well, is there still not someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And so the king says, well, where is he? And Ziba says, well, indeed he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. So if you can imagine, David is in his palace, and he has got all the, the 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 beauty of the palace, all the everything at his fingertips of this palace, all the things that he might possibly want or need is in this palace. And then we have Mephibosheth, who is somewhere else, in a place where we find that he's in the house of someone else, maker the son of Amiel and Lodabar. and so. While this is going on over here with David, Mephibosheth is minding his own business over there in a place where he is lame in both of his feet. And so he is just going through life and he is completely unaware that there is someone who is about to call out to him. Completely unaware that the king is about to call him to himself. Maybe Mephibosheth is there and he's thinking that this is the best that there is. Maybe he's thinking that he's got it pretty good, you know, life's at the best it's going to get. But what he doesn't know, he's completely unaware, is that there is a king who is looking for him. Amen? There's a king who is looking for him. And while he might think that this is the best it's going to get in life, what he doesn't know is that that king is about to offer him something, and nothing compares to being with that king. You see, being a recipient of the grace of God, beloved, ourselves, God has called us to himself. And we were completely unaware of who he is until he had to speak to our hearts and call us to him. We, were, we are Mephibosheth, unaware of the goodness of God, unaware. We're blind to his goodness, cannot see his goodness. And then we see Secondly, underneath the recipient of grace, not only are we unaware, but also we see that Phoebusheth was unable. He was unable to get to or to come to the king. In verse 3 and following again, we find here that when David asked him, you know, is there somebody in the latter part of verse 3 that Zebus says, well, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He's crippled in his feet. He can't walk. And the king says, well, where is he? And he says, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel of Lodabar. And so David then sent and brought him out of the house of Maker the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So what we find here is that Mephibosheth is going to find out that the king is calling him, but he cannot go on his own. So David has to send and bring him. Because Mephibosheth is unable to come on his own. Because he is without strength. And why is he without strength? Well, it came from a fall matter of fact, you remember 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, that Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. That The Bible tells us he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So he's unable to come on his own. Mephibosheth is unable to come to the king because he's lame because of a fall. He cannot do it because of a fall. So what happens is that David sends to bring him and he brings him to himself. He doesn't send crutches to Mephibosheth and say, Hey, get, there, get here just as soon as you can. Try your best to get here on your own. He doesn't do that at all. But he sends and he brings him to himself. Beloved, listen. We are Mephibosheth. in that we cannot come to God on our own. As recipients of God's grace, we cannot come to him unless he brings us to himself. In John chapter six verse forty four says, Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day." You see, beloved, we are without strength; we are unable to come to him. Why? Because it's due to a fall. Amen. The fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. We cannot come to him unless he brings us to himself. We cannot come to him on our own. We are unable. We cannot be good enough. We cannot get there on our own uh, own effort because we are spiritually lame and need to be brought to him. Beloved, we are Mephibosheth, and we have been recipients of his grace. We see here that Mephibosheth is unaware, he's unable, and he's unsatisfied. He's unsatisfied, but where do you see that? Well, we see that really in the place in which he's living. When you look in verse five, it tells us uh, really in the first the latter part of verse four and in verse five, it tells us that he is in this place called Lo Debar. Lo Debar. Lo Debar translates meaning without pasture. So this place and where where uh, Mephibosheth is living is a very barren place. It's without pasture. Of all the beautiful pasture land. Lodabar is without pasture. That's what it means. It's given that name for a purpose. It's without pasture. And so it's a barren place. It's a desolate place. It's an obscure field in Palestine. And so in that place, there is not the pasture. There is not the the beauty of the other places in, in, in Israel. And so he is in this place unsatisfied because there is no pasture. You see, beloved, listen, to be recipients of grace as recipients of grace, we recognize that we also are unsatisfied in a barren land of life. Because here's the thing life without Jesus is a barren land. Amen? Life without Jesus is a barren land, it's wilderness wandering. It's a sense of emptiness. There is a void in our lives apart from Jesus Christ. It is barren. When we do not know Jesus, we're in a barren land. And here's the thing. There is nothing that satisfies us. Y'all with me this morning? There's nothing that satisfies us except Jesus. We are never satisfied. Samuel is here with us today. Samuel is from Quebec and... He's going to be one of our interns. We're going to have three interns this summer. We're so very excited. And Samuel is from Quebec. And so he arrived this week and he's been at my house. And he and I went to Walmart the other day. Of course, they do have Walmart, I want you to know, in Quebec. And so he and I went to Walmart the other day and we were talking about it because, let me tell you something, it's hot here right now, but it's really hot to somebody from Quebec. Amen. <laughs> And so he asked me, he said, are people satisfied with the weather or do they complain? (laughs) And I said, well, brother... They complain here just like they do in Quebec. Virginia is no different when it comes to complaining about the weather. When it's cold, we complain because it's, it's too cold and we want it to get hot. And when it's hot, we complain because it's hot and we want it to get cold. It's just a constant complaint all the time. And he and he say, ah, oh, the same thing in Quebec. i said, say, yeah, same thing in Virginia. But, but here's the thing, friends. Listen, it's not about where we live. It's because of the state of the heart. Amen? The reason why we're never satisfied is because the sinful heart that we have heart that's never satisfied. Come on now. Isn't that right? right. A heart that's never satisfied. Now, we try to find satisfaction in a whole lot of places and a whole lot of ways, but there's nothing that satisfies. There's nothing in this world that ultimately satisfies. Now, we might try to find things that satisfy. As a matter of fact, we try to find satisfaction in our sports and our specialties and our spending. We might try to find contentment in our clothes and our careers and our causes. We might try to find pleasure in our power and our pets and in our patios. We might try to find happiness in our health, and our habits, and even in our Harleys. We might try to find joy in our journeys, in our jaguars, and even our jewelry. Or delight in our deals, and our decorations, and our degrees. Or find gladness in our gardens, our goals, and our greens. Or find bliss in our barbells, our beaches, and our beauty. Or fulfillment in our friends, our finances, or our fancified flings. But here's the truth. Nothing satisfies. Nothing. No matter how hard we try, we might get just a small bit of gratification, a small bit of satisfaction, but ultimately nothing satisfies. But there is a king who desires to extend his grace to us. And because he he does, and when we do, then we find that we will delight in him forever as we are brought to him. And why is that? It's because he is the bread of life that satisfies our hunger. He is the water that quenches our thirst. He is that place of ultimate rest. And apart from him, we are unsatisfied. And so we see that we are Mephibosheth. Unaware, unable, unsatisfied, and unworthy. You see, before Jesus came into our lives, friends, that's where we were. Unaware that there's a king, unable to come to him ourselves, and unsatisfied, there's still that void. But then also we need to understand that as we find out about this king, and the king calls us to himself, when we recognize this grace, we realize how unworthy we are. That's where he was as well. In verse 6 and verse 8 in this chapter, it says Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, had come to David. So David has sent for Mephibosheth. He goes, he brings him in, he comes into the presence of the king. And what does he do? With well, the first thing that Mephibosheth does is he fell on his face and he prostrates himself. He is humbly bowing before the king. And then in verse eight it tells us that he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth in the presence of the king recognizes the grace that has been extended to him, there especially in verse 8. And he is humbled and he recognizes he is unworthy to be in his presence. Even the name Mephibosheth itself means a shameful thing. There is this sense of unworthiness as he enters into the presence of the king. This sense of unworthiness as he enters into the presence of the king because he realizes that he could be killed. But instead what the king has done is he has extended his grace to him. He knew that death could be imminent in the presence of the king. But he has now been extended grace. And as he's been extended grace, he is humbled in the presence of the king. And he is humbled to have been extended this grace. We are Mephibosheth. We too, beloved, are by birth and by practice thoroughly depraved and corrupt and unworthy to be in the presence of the king. We are enemies of the king, rebellious against the king, disobedient to the king, unworthy to be in his presence. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, as it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You see, we have done nothing to deserve his grace, and we are yet enemies of the king. But what the king does is he extends grace to us. We're unaware, unable, unsatisfied, unworthy. But yet we are recipients of the grace of the King. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The King saw us. The King knows us. The King loves us. And for the sake of His Son, our Savior, He calls us and extends His grace. Even though we deserve the penalty of death, we now have life because of Jesus. We have... We are the recipients of grace. And as we come to know Jesus, we have the riches of grace. That's the third point. What are those riches of grace? Well, the first thing we see here is that Mephibosheth automatically begins to receive some of the riches of God's grace here. In verse 6 and 7. Whereas he comes into the presence of David. It says there, he had come to David. He fell on his face, prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. He speaks the word to him. And verse 7 and, of course, Mephibosheth says, here is your servant. And then David says, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. There's that word again, for Jonathan, your father's sake. So what we find here is one of the riches of grace is that Mephibosheth has enjoyed peace. The first word uttered is his name. David, the king, calls him by name. And the second word that the king says to Mephibosheth is, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Mephibosheth didn't know if his life was about to be over, but what he didn't know was his life was about to begin. Amen? And, beloved, when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive the riches of His grace. We receive this peace. Not death, but life. Not death, but life. That is what is ours through Jesus David says, I will surely show you this kindness, this grace, and God has done that for us. And because of that, we now have peace with God and the peace of God that passes all understanding, the riches of his grace. We also see here not only does he have peace, but he also has a portion. That's a 2nd subpoint sub-point there. So we find here that as Mephibosheth comes in, he's lame with two legs, he can't walk. He was unaware that he was being sought out. He's unable to come, but he was brought. He was unsatisfied, but now, and he also recognizes that he's unworthy. But now as he comes into the presence of the king, what David says to him is found here. He says, I will surely show, your kind, show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. So I'm going to restore to you your inheritance. I'm going to restore to you all that was your grandfather's land. All the land that belonged to Saul, now that is yours. Your inheritance is now being restored to you. And so what has happened here is that David has brought, brought Mephibosheth from the land that is barren, that does not satisfy it. He is bringing him now to the land that is plentiful. Amen. David says to him, look, what I have is yours. You will eat at my table. My bread is your bread. And so here are the riches that are yours in this inheritance. Beloved, listen. Here are the riches of grace that come for us from God. All that we lost in Adam has been restored in Jesus Christ. Amen? All that we lost in the garden has been restored in Jesus Christ. Well, what are you talking about? What did we lose in the garden? Well, at the garden, we began to experience death and not life. Now we have life and not death. Amen? In the garden, we were walk, the man walked with God, and they were apart from God, but now we have the blessing of God. Apart from him, now we're with him. Was In the garden, they did have a relationship with the Lord, then the sin caused that relationship to be broken, but now because of Jesus, we have that relationship restored. Amen? With God. We have these spiritual, listen, we have these spiritual riches in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3 8, it even tells us, For to me, whom less than the least of all the saints, Paul says, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the spiritual riches, the rather unsearchable riches of Christ. So, riches. When I come to know Jesus, I get riches. Well, preacher, now you are talking my language because I got some bills to pay and I need some of them there, riches. So you're saying, preacher, that if I come to know Jesus, then I'm going to get rich? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying at all because that would be a prosperity gospel and we do not believe in that, amen? Amen. But what we do know is that Jesus said, he didn't say get rich with riches of wealth. But what he said is deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You see, these riches that we're talking about, the riches that are spoken of here in the scripture are the spiritual riches of peace, spiritual riches of joy, spiritual riches of having assurance of heaven, spiritual riches of having life and not death, having the spiritual riches of hope. And beloved, those kind of spiritual riches are riches that money cannot buy. And they are found in one place, and it's only through Jesus, because of God's grace. So these riches and grace are the peace, the portion that is ours, but also the position. We see the position. In the latter part of verse 11, we see that David says, As for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. So what we see here is that now Mephibosheth, who had been in the, somebody else's house, living, mooching off for of them, if you will. We don't know the whole story, but he's there with them. In this place called Lodabar, which is a barren place, a barren land, always in hiding, not sure what would happen to him if he's found out, in rebellion, really, against the king. Now he is brought in because of the grace of King David. He is brought into the house, the palace, and his extended grace. Everything that was your grandfather's now belongs to you. And not only that, Mephibosheth, but you are going to eat at my table. Not the table in the back of the room, and we're going to point to you and say, hey, there's Saul's grandson back there. No, you're going to eat at my table. All that I have is yours. All of that I enjoy, you will enjoy here. But not only that, the Bible here tells us also that it's not only is he sitting at his table in the table of the king, but he's also. As one of the king's, what? Sons. He is like a child to David. I will adopt you as my own. You will be at my table as my child. In the royal palace. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3, 6, Listen, when we know Jesus, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So not only do we sit at the King's table when we know Jesus Christ as Savior, not only do we sit at the King's table, but we are now also children of the King. Amen? That's what we have. That's what we enjoy, our position. We're members of the royal family. You know, I was watching on the, looking at the newspaper the other day, and understand that there's a wedding that's about to take place somewhere in England or something. Somewhere over there. And interesting how so many people are going to go over and see it and whatever. But the people who can only really be invited are those who are the closest to the family. Or members of the family. You don't have your access pass, you're not getting in, right? Well, beloved, this is better than being any member of a royal family. We're members of God's family. Amen? When we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know him by grace, by God's grace that's been extended to us. And now we're members of his family, the royal family of God, the grace of God toward us. We were unaware, unable, unsatisfied, unworthy, yet because of God's desire and his dedication, rather David's to to Jonathan, David extended grace. Because of Jesus, God's extended grace to us. We were unaware, we were unable, we were unsatisfied, and unworthy, enjoying the riches of His grace. So three things to do real quick, and we'll be done. Number one, we see that we're to come to the table. And we come to the table because God is the one who has extended His grace through His Son, Jesus. He sent Jesus so that we can have life. And the invitation has been extended. And so the invitation is for you to come to the table. As we come to the table, then here's the first thing we need to do, and that is to be receptive. Be receptive to his call. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trust that he loves you and he's calling you to come, to be a part of his family, to come and to be extended that grace and to be his child. You know, if Mephibosheth had believed what his grandfather had said about David, he would have been afraid. But if he had believed what his father said about David, he would have rejoiced. Right? So it's who you believe about Jesus. And Beloved, you can believe the word of God. And God's word tells us that we can trust him because he loves us. And he's extended his grace to us. So be receptive when he, he, because he comes to the door and he knocks. Open the door. And he invites us to come and be his children. Secondly, not only be receptive, but also be transformed. When we look here at Mephibosheth's life, when David invited him and gave him his inheritance and gave him a seat at his table and gave him all of these things, and even though he knew that he was not worthy to be in his presence, did Mephibosheth go and say, All right, boys, I am the kingpin now. I'm going to do whatever I want. Y'all look out for old Mephibosheth. That's not what happened. No, because what happened is that the grace humbled Mephibosheth. And beloved, that's what grace does to us. Grace humbles us. Amen. We recognize that we're not worthy of the king's grace. We're not worthy of what he's done for us. And yet, when he extends that grace to us, then we want his grace to reign in us as we have conversations as we act and react toward other people. We must have the grace of God reigning in us. It comes to the Holy Spirit that lives within us. But also, we're to be loyal to this king, just as Mephibosheth says, I'm going to be your servant. I'm your slave, even though he is like his son. I'm yours, David. We should say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'm yours. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And we love him for all that he's done for us. So, we're to be receptive, we're to be transformed, and then we're to be satisfied. That's the third point. To be satisfied. To delight in his riches. The riches that we have are life. Beloved, let us delight in the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Delight in the inheritance that is ours. It's more than a piece of real estate. It's an eternal home in heaven. It's the peace that passes all understanding. It's being in his presence now and forever. We delight in him. God has extended his grace to us. And so, as he has done that and we've received Jesus by faith, then we can delight in his riches and delight in his presence and delight in who he is now and forever. He calls, we come, he brings us to himself. And we enjoy the riches of his grace. You know, wouldn't it have been interesting? You always think about what if in these kinds of stories. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Mephibosheth, when David had gone to get him or sent somebody to go and get him and bring him back to the palace, going to offer him, and he does offer him all of the uh, the inheritance and sitting at the king's table, if Mephibosheth had just looked at David and said, you know what? You know, that sounds really neat and everything, but I just don't know that I want to do that. I kind of like the way things are out low to bar, you know. All oh, this is great, but I just—I'm comfortable back there. I just don't know about that. I mean, how foolish that would be, wouldn't it? Just crazy. But you know, there are a lot of people who are doing that today. For God is extending His grace, saying, "Look, there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy you. I'm the water that quenches your thirst. Come to me. What's holding you back, friend?" you don't know this Jesus, what's holding you back from coming to know him who loves you? Who's extended his grace to you? To offer you this hope and real life in a place that's far better than Lodabar. Being in his presence. And beloved, for those of us who know Jesus, are we living in that grace? remembering daily the amazing grace of God. We're unworthy to be in his presence, but yet he has extended that grace to us. It should reign in our hearts forever. Amen? And live for him and love him more. Let's recommit our hearts to him today to live that out. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives to be faithful to you. Lord, we we are reminded of your beautiful grace and all that you have done for us and you do for us daily through Jesus, our Savior, your Son. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we come to this time of invitation that if there are those here who need to say yes to Jesus, as you have knocked at their heart's door, you're tugging at them, you're bringing them to yourself, Lord, I pray that uh, they would step to the table, come to the table as only you can bring them. Or they would say yes to Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd be with us who know you as Savior, that as we were reminded afresh and anew of your wonderful grace, that it would stir us up to live that life out daily of letting your grace reign in our hearts toward other people, but also to love you more because of that awesome grace and to be loyal to you, to you, to be obedient to follow you all of our days. Until that moment when we will see you face to face and dine at your table in all of your glory, Lord, let us live for you now in your presence here and be faithful all the while. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You come as God has dealt with your heart. Pastor Luke is here. I'll be here to pray with you. If you want to come, pray silently as we remember God's grace and surrender to Him completely as we sing.